Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we got a great guest, great panel, great session, great co-host. What's going on, Charity Ann Farmer? What is up? New Happy look, new day, new look. All right, there you go. <clears throat> Although everybody else has seen, oops, seen my look. How so? Because um, I had my look last week. Well, yeah, but I was in NADA, so I didn't see it. I know. So it's new look for me. I don't have a new look. Other than I gained like 30 memory. pounds while I was on vacation and I can't seem to shake this weight off no matter what I do. Other than that, pretty good. It gets harder to lose weight, man. Like, I don't know. Like I've been eating like 500 calories a day, I think for like three weeks. And it's like 500 calories a day. Yeah. That's probably why. And, and, and I feel like I'm getting fatter. I don't know what kind of calories. I don't know what's going on. What? I said, what kind of calories? So I, I started doing this thing, this, uh, these meals called factor shout out to factor. No, I'm not getting paid for, for this. So factor, if you want to be a sponsor of the podcast, hit me up. Um, no, but th there's these meals that they send to you and they're freaking amazing. They're so good. They're delicious hey. and nutritious. Mm. And they take about two minutes to cook and they're portioned and you can pick like between protein. If you want to do like a full on protein diet or you want to do a keto diet or whatever. And then the menu tells you when you're picking the meals, what they're kind of what they follow, what the parameters. But the best thing they do that I really enjoy is they do these juices and they're like pre pre squeezed juice and vegetable mixtures. And so they're just right there. And they're ready. And all I do is drink them in the morning as my breakfast and start the day right. Why are you laughing? I've done them because I've done them before. And the whole time I was doing the factor thing, I just thought these are like TV dinners. We have gone back to TV dinners. But they're not TV dinners. It's just the packaging. They taste really good. And they're, they're very well-prepared meals. Don't like downplay it like the packaging looks like tv dinner but they are freaking awesome anyway i should do them again because i just eat out too much so but see i don't i, do like I don't that's what i'm saying like it's getting harder to lose weight because i don't eat out a whole bunch and i mean look at my face it's like huge you know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, not <laughs> what? No, it's, it's true. not. No, it's not. You look fine. It's funny that I'm the one telling you that you don't look fine. Anyway, but I'm 40 anyway. now, so I have an excuse. No, you don't. Yeah, I, you know, I'm doing all the right no, things. I'm exercising every day. I'm eating right. So I can't do, I mean, dude, <laughs> there's only so much you can do, right? Hey, next time I decide to use any of 
the normal excuses that I might have and you go, that's just an excuse. Well, yeah, but that's, you know. Then I'm going to tell you. I can say that because oh, yeah. I mentor you. So I, I can say those things. <laughs> You're the mentee. You have to be like, yes, sir. No, no sir. You have to be like. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give it back because I'm the mentee. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. You know, interesting. You're the apprentice. The apprentice. You're the apprentice. So, anyways, is this a car? Is this is this an automotive industry podcast, or is this a fashion podcast, or a a weight loss podcast? What are we talking about here? Fashion. I want to talk about. We can call it apprentice from now on. You want to? You want to? That sounds like I'm a little bit. I want to be an apprentice from now on because that makes me feel like I'm a, a wizard. Why? I don't know. It has like a very, very magical feel to it. What? You're talking about <laughs> magical feel. Yeah, like Harry Potter. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> oh, what a weird way to start our podcast today. Well, I mean... It's our show. That's the beauty. So we can start it off however we want. Apprentice. Anyways, what's going on, dude? Are we going to talk about anything that's even remotely related to the automotive industry or or not? Do you have anything for me today? Do you want to talk about Carvana? Ah, not really. For one, I think my prediction that I that I let out a couple of weeks ago is not going to come true. So I'm going to have to eat my words. Second, I don't really I I come to the conclusion that I don't understand what the hell is going on over there. I don't get it. <laughs> Mathematically speaking, <laughs> they should be done. <laughs> but for some reason, now their stock is is growing and growing. It's it, I think it went up twice like they're in double digits right now i think like, like 13 or 12 dollars or so um i know there's some how weird much they, how much did they go i up? think it's at 12 dollars right now or 13 dollars something like that and it was at six just a couple weeks ago yeah it's like so, the battle of thermopylae they're gonna do you know the battle of thermopylae you do i mean you've seen 300 right yes um Tooth and narrow nail. That's path. Carvana right now. <laughs> yeah. Narrow path. Um, I've actually never seen 300. I just know the historical okay. story. So yeah. That makes me the cool historical story. Me. Okay, good. Good to know. <laughs> Terry knows the historical history. The historical history. The historical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on. I think the Carvana is just fighting tooth and nail, man. Like, what, sure not giving up. That's <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's that. I just think it's a. It's a product of circumstances. I don't know. At this point, mm-hmm. like, I want to refrain from commenting because it just. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand it. Like I said, mathematically speaking, this should be a done deal. But 
for some reason. I know reason. that I've said this before, but I feel as if being in the automotive industry over the last two or three years has been like an on the grounds lesson in economics and business. And I'm, I learn new things every day. <laughs> yeah. Carvana would be one of them. I've been doing a lot of reading. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not, not to completely shift, shift gears here. It's kind of related to the used car side of the business, but things are also on our end. They're a little bit, um, in flux for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, like a lot of people that I've talked to were anticipating January to be a way down month. And it, it for, for a lot of the stores that I'm working with, that wasn't the case. They, for the most part, they were all, you know, they were in growth in relationship to January of 2022. And Obviously not on the, yeah, well, overall in general, but not, um, Obviously not on the gross profit side, but unit wise, a lot of the stores had sold more units and some of them made more money too. I'm not saying that that's not, that that's not the case, but, um, it just did, it hasn't started out, started out the way that, um, we had anticipated. And then I haven't really seen, I mean, I've seen some decreases in digital traffic, but I haven't seen stuff that it's like, whoa, okay, here it is like no shoppers. So, um, so on LinkedIn the other day, I saw, um, a, a what if post, um, would you rather, so would you rather go back three years knowing what you know now, um, and do the last yes. three years. In the, or, I don't need to know what else is coming. I don't need to know the or. Yes, I would like to go back three years knowing what I know now. Or take That'd 10 be ideal. today. No, I'd go back with what I know now. Why? Because so many different ways to make more than $10 million on sports for one. That's an easy one. Three yeah, years ago, cool. you would anticipate you'd be right at the, at the, at the, the brink. Of, well, that's one. You'd be right at the brink of the of uh, the shift, right? And people thinking that it was going to be a terrible time for the automotive industry, and it ended up being one of the best couple of years. Um, yeah, I would go back with what I know now, for sure. See, I'm just not the kind of person that would ever go back. Whenever I get those what ifs, would you go back to your childhood if you know what you know? Well, that's I would not different. go back. I would not go back three years and do those three years over again. No, no, thank you. I will take my $10 million um, and I will make that work for me. <laughs> yeah, but that's not fun. That's not fun. <laughs> no. So you would like the time travel. So you, okay. So you wake up tomorrow and you have $10 million. Great. Then what? Period. End of story. Yay. Uh, right. Exactly. It's not fun. You wake up. Money's only going to go so ago. far and then it's like, ah, eh. you know, I don't know. I wouldn't want to wake up three years ago. Anyway, so, anything else? <laughs> what do you have? 
Um, if I'm an apprentice, does that make you a master? No. Or an apprentice? What what's the opposite of an apprentice? Is it apprentice? Or no, that's the that's know. the plural <laughs> for apprentice. Apprentice, multiple apprentices. I don't know. That's a good the teacher, I guess. I'm the teacher, you're the apprentice. So anyway, that's just been anyway, circulated in your head you there for, for ten minutes. No, actually, I was thinking, is it my job to be the one that always brings the stuff? Or yes, of course. Every week. And I that didn't is, even realize that. That is literally <laughs> what you, your job is. <laughs> like, yes. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's been, look, it's, it's obviously the beginning of a new year. I think that there's a lot of different things that are, that are in play here. Um, you know, my major you know, opening comment here is just the, like I said, how things are in flux and it's very hard to predict, right? So if you're not, if you're not looking at your data consistently right now, you're at a disadvantage. Like you got to be looking at things. And I'm, when I talk about data, I'm not talking about like having conversations with and, and that sort of deal, but actually looking at the stuff that, that makes a difference. For example, how many frontline units do you have right now available to sell? How many in relationship to last year? Do you have more? Do you have less? Do you have more new and less used, which is the kind of like the combination that I'm seeing right now? And if so, are you marketing new? Because there's a lot of stores still that are stuck in the use cycle and they're not shifting those dollars to new cars. And I'm seeing a lot of new cars sitting there and starting to accumulate age. So you got to start shifting your strategies. Um, you know, it's not just because you have new cars, people are all of a sudden going to come by. Like there, there has to be a marketing play there. Um, there's a lot of customers that are still skeptical. They, they don't believe that inventory is on the ground, even though they see it on your website because they've gotten used to, you know, seeing it, trying to make appointments for it or calling. And then, you know, if you're like most dealers that try to get people in the door and then they showed up to test drive a car that you didn't have. So all these things, you need to start reassessing and, and um, you know, using that, that information, using the data to uh, set yourself up for success. Another good, another good metric to look at is appointments. How many appointments did you have set last in the same time period last year in relationship to you have right now? Are you getting more leads? Are you getting less leads? What about your website traffic? And when I talk about website traffic, I'm not just talking about... Um, overall, but how much of that traffic is new, how much of that traffic is used, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, those are the things. We have a metric internally um, with the stores that I work with, with that are that it's called MBF or Moneyball Factor, and that helps me anticipate how many sales. Like, I, I, if I, with that percentage, with that ratio, I can anticipate how many cars a dealership's going to sell within a 10 plus or minus 10, um, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Plus or minus 10 um, variance. So, um, you know, if you want to learn- Where does Moneyball factor come from? What was that? I said, where does Moneyball factor come from? Well, I picked it up from Jim Flint, which we've had on the show before, but he, he got it from, you know, the, the uh, movie Moneyball. 
like the premise there was, you know, you got to get players that get on base. If you get people on base, you're going to score more, more runs. If you score more runs, you're going to win more games. So it's it's the same premise here. We're trying to get people to the website. You get more people to the website. That's going to lead to more conversions. Ultimately, that's going to lead to more sales. So if you understand that number, if you understand that math, then you can anticipate, you know, within a fairly certain degree of, um, of variance, how many cars you're going to sell in a given month. Um, so what's the math? Well, what was that? I said, what's the math? Well, I'm not going to give my secrets away for free here. Come on now. (laughs) There's a blog (laughs) post about it. (laughs) Yeah, but it's okay. Go go look at the blog post, but come on now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, I'll link the blog post. We do charge here. We got to make a living charity. (laughs) But anyway, so, um, you know, those are things that we, that we have to be looking at right now. Um, especially in the beginning of the year, look at your website. That's another one. Like this is the time to do, like I do, um, what I call house cleaning with all the stores on January. So what does that mean? I make sure to go get an inventory of all the tags that are on the website. Are there tags on there that, um, should be removed, right? Of vendors that we did business with last year that we canceled or whatever. And for whatever reason, the tag remained on the site, all that stuff slows performance. So take this opportunity to go in there and clean that up. What about your Google analytics? Are you, do you have errors there? Do you have um, vendors that are not linking back to your GA and that's causing you to, to have a lot of not set traffic? Um, are you all set up for GA4? What about your pixels? Make sure that your Facebook pixels, all those are installed and firing. I did an audit on a group the other day and three of their pixels weren't working, right? So keep a list of those things and every quarter send those out and be like, hey, I want to check that all, that all these things are functioning and firing. Um, do you have your stores on, um, I always have a hard time saying this word, like Google Console. If you do, make sure you have that information readily available to make sure that you can um, refer back to it and make sure that that's active. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we need to be doing right now to ensure that we're going to have a, a successful year and that we're starting out the year with um, everything as clean as possible. Your GBP is another one. Make sure you go and check that out. Are your hours of operation correct? Do you have all the right um, uh, departments linked in there? Do you, did you post all your, um, are you posting there? Do you have all your products on there? I mean, there's Plenty to do right now, folks, to ensure that you get a really good start to the year and everything's clean and you're maximizing your your digital presence. Your website is another one. CTAs. Well, I already said websites, but I'm talking now about the digital experience. But your CTAs, do you have the right CTAs? Are they working? You know, do you have too much? Do you need to declutter? I mean, um, lots of things that you could be doing right now to ensure that you're going to... Um, just have the best digital experience for your customers. So anyway, and it's best to do it now. Well, we're kind of all just waiting for the next, the other shoe to fall. Well, I mean, let's not be negative. I think, I think that this year is going to be, <laughs> I, I think this year is going to be extremely positive. I think I, I really do. I think that there's tons of opportunities still. I think there's going to be inventory shortages that are going to, move us in the direction of profitability. And I think that um, with everything that's happened in the industry that we 
there's still a lot of demand out there and we can't, um, we got to count for those things. But so first of all, thanks everybody for being here. We kick things off here at the Dealer Talk podcast with an intro. So tell us about you. Let's start with Ben. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I've been in the, uh, gosh, the subprime and, and buy here, pay here uh, market since 1993. So I'll date myself a little bit. I got uh, 30 years uh, in the in the industry. I spent about 16 years with uh, Citigroup, ran a large number of, of subprime finance companies, consumer finance companies. And um started with Byrider, JD Byrider back in 2010. Spent about yeah, oh, spent wow. a, a little over a decade with JD Byrider. I ran several different dealerships in the Cincinnati market, uh Columbus, Ohio, uh Indianapolis, Kentucky, uh uh kind of made my way around the various different markets, I guess, and ended up running a 67 rooftop BDC for them for a little while and uh uh became a consultant for them for about the last five years. So, the, you know, J.D. Byrider, if you guys know who they are, they're the largest franchised uh, buy here, pay here uh, dealership in the in the country. And they have about 147 stores. And as part of their franchise, they provide a consultant. And uh, I, I kind of slipped into that role, spent about five years in that role, been with NIADA for about a year and a half. So, man, I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds and hundreds of really, really strong uh, high-end dealers, uh, uh, throughout my career, been been blessed with that opportunity. So yeah, I know I know JD pr pretty well. I I used to work for Auto Trader, and they were always trying to get them mm -hmm. to sign up. So I used to go to their locations here in Vegas, like almost every week, <laughs> trying to get them to sign up to fair, the, fair uh, enough <laughs> on the platform. So, <laughs> um, Ed, what about you? Tell us about you, sir. Well, I uh, started a little bit before Ben did. I've been in the business 43 to 44 years. I quit counting. Uh, but these kind of <laughs> questions keep coming up, so I guess I better start keeping up with it. About the first half of that, I spent working in dealerships in, in every role from salesperson to being a partner in multiple stores. Um, after that, I went into the consulting business, um, one of the major clients hired me away from the consulting business and I took over a national role for uh, one of the largest publicly owned dealership groups. Uh, stayed there about eight and a half years, went to um, another dealership group, stayed with them in a national role for about four and a half years. And then I went uh, to work for a the largest private group that existed at the time and they ultimately sold to Berkshire Hathaway Automotive, and um, I stayed on. I did something uh, for about a year and a half in a consulting role. Um, was that Van Tile? Yeah, the the private one was Van Tile, correct? Van Tile. Right uh, they on. sold to, sold to Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so anyway, um, uh, COVID rolled around, and and I had to make a decision whether I was going to keep working around the public, as my daughter said, or be able to come visit my grandchildren at her house. And that was a pretty easy decision. So I left and, and decided I was going to retire. I told my wife I was going to try it for a year. And if I didn't like it, I was going to find something to do if I had to open up a used car lot. And wound up at uh, NIADA. 
and uh, cool. almost exactly a year to the date that I told my wife I was going to give it. So um, everything's cool. moving along on my schedule just fine. Right on. Bill, how about you, sir? Hey, well, thanks again for uh, having us on the uh, the podcast. Really appreciate that. And um, mine is, uh, I started back in 1990, uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, with a company called Norwest Financial. Uh, turned into Wells Fargo Financial. And I was there for about uh, almost 18 years uh, with them and became national accounts manager and, and did business with uh, buy here, pay here dealers across the country. Um, I moved about uh, five different times just with that organization, but had some great territories. I was able to make my way and uh, had a business that I did in Hawaii. So, uh, so that was always a nice little business trip that I was able to make. Um, uh, but uh, then I went on to work for America's Car Mart. Uh, I was the uh, director of uh, collection practices and review. I had over 200 people that I used to work with directly. These are all the account representatives out there. Uh, in 91 locations at that time when when I first started. And then I became vice president of operations. I had 29 direct dealerships that I really worked with that in uh, Arkansas, Texas, and uh, also Oklahoma. So that was a lot of fun. There was a, there was a really a lot of great people, um, you know, over 200 uh, associates that I was able to, to at least touch, talk to, and, and, you know, have conversations with, you know, when I I was able to to meet them, meet up with them, but uh, it was uh, definitely a really good opportunity. And then moved on from there to another large buy here, pay here operator uh, in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where I'm at now. And uh, I uh, had the opportunity to work with Superior Auto. They've got about 71 locations in about uh, four different states here in the Midwest: uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. And I ran dealerships, and I was also the director of sales. So Went on from there, and then as Ben and Ed, we all kind of started about the same time with NIADA about a year and a half ago or so, and uh, it's just been uh, fantastic ever since. I've had uh, done some consulting and training, and then, of course, being a moderator is, uh, is probably the, the best part of, of this job and this opportunity, so mm-hmm. definitely uh, something fun. Right on, right on. So, um, you know, it's funny. I, I When I was a rep, I always asked for Hawaii as a territory, but I never got it. I just thought it'd be fun to, to go out there it, and consult. It, it was, it was, you know, you, you, uh, everybody left at about, uh, you know, it was about one or two o'clock in the afternoon in, in Hawaii and they were all gone from the East coast. So of course I stayed I'm working, sure you, you, know, that, sure you know, that was always, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was working on his tan. So. That's what he was working on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was working. There you go. Hey, uh, work is work, ben man. Knows me well. <laughs> ben so, knows me well. Let's start with um, kind of a 50,000 question. Maybe, Ben, let, let's let's tee this off to you. But what do you see right now um, is the biggest uh, challenges that we're going to face on, on the used car side in 2023? You know, it, I, I see multiple fronts actually, but I, I really believe that 2023 is going to be a banner year for in the buy here, pay here space. I, I think it's going to be a similar year to 2010. A lot of the economic indicators are, are pushing in that same direction, but here's my concern. And I, I, I have this conversation with my dealers uh, quite frequently. We just, we just had a big 20 group meeting in Miami um, with some really, really strong dealers down there. And really over the last couple of years, in the buy here, pay here space, 
our portfolios have really performed well. There's been a lot of money um, in, you know, the consumers have had a lot of money in the households. There was a period of time when we were shut down, people weren't really driving their vehicles. Um, so what happens when one piece of our business is operating, you know, at peak efficiency? Well, we tend to take our eye off that ball and go towards the thing that's not operating mm -hmm. at peak efficiency, which over the last couple of years has been really inventory, right? Um, we've had a lot of inventory stresses. Yeah. When you couple the fact that our, our portfolios now, as inventory starts coming back down and the, and the uh, price of uh, vehicles for us start coming back down, well, we've got a book of business sitting on our portfolio right now that's a little high and a little, a little overvalued. And we've taken our eye off the ball on the portfolio management and the collection side of things. So I, it's my personal opinion that, that we have to get back to collecting our portfolios. We have to, uh, you know, reinstall the disciplines that we all know that we should have in place, refocus our efforts there. And I believe, frankly, that it's, um, you know, customer relationship building is really going to be the, the differentiator between those who get through 2023 successfully and those who don't, because we've got to make sure that we're working with those customers, because again, that value is going to be a little, our, our portfolio is a little overvalued. So making sure the customers understand the reasons why they should continue making payments, they should be working with us in order to stay and stay on the books. So it helps them improve their, uh, you know, their, their credit situation and, and uh, their livelihood. I think that's really important. For sure. No, I, I agree. I wonder, are you guys seeing any stats on, um, cause you talked about payments and stuff. Are you seeing any stats like negative stats when it comes to that? Are you seeing more repos? Are you seeing more people miss payments or, or, you know, not so much? Uh, you know, I might jump in on that one. Uh, yes, uh, I have, um, bankruptcies uh, have started to come up. Uh, delinquencies are, are starting to rise again and, and, uh, I will echo Ben's um, uh, common, uh, commentary as far as on the, the collection side of this. Um, I just had a collection class that I did virtually, and we had over 30 people on that call uh, that were just all of, uh, you know, the, the, whether they were directly in collections or, or just kind of uh, some of the owners of the businesses, they wanted to know more about, you know, what they could do differently and what they could do to make sure they had a good and a banner collection year. Um, so. You know, as far as that goes, that that's we're starting to see collections start to kind of creep up a little bit more. Uh, they're not at the pre-pandemic highs uh, that we had seen before, but uh, they are definitely getting higher even at this point in time. So, uh, you know, just doing some, uh, you know, best practices, uh, you know, little things that you can do a little differently to keep customers in line. And, and as far as, uh, you know, keeping them in mind and, and building that relationship. And uh, I think that you know, as far as from the buy here, pay here side, and even, you know, from the retail side from, from Ed, um, we always try to build a good relationship. If we have a good relationship with the customer, you're going to go a lot further with that person and, and uh, that uh, that individual as far as keeping, keeping them in the car and, and making and helping yeah, them make and that payment. When you talk about stats, I just looked at an Equifax report that overall, uh, this is overall consumer credit. Um, severe delinquency is is at its highest point that it's been since 2010, and severe delinquency is measured as 60 plus delinquency. Now that's all in. That's not specific to buy here, pay here. So mm -hmm. that's you know that's all new cars and things along those lines. Um, so far as specific to buy here, pay here, you know NIADA has a pretty robust uh, data source, and I can tell you this: 
we are at um, the highest we've been right now. Things have really started ticking back up on the on the total delinquency front. Um, it's it's as high as it's been in quite some time uh, on both contractual delinquency and on recency. And what really concerns me is the average loss per charge off. So in 2022, I'm looking at a report, so I'm sorry, I'm looking off camera, but in 2022, it was uh, uh, $7,913 was the average loss per charge off compared to 21, which was 5,400, 2020, which was 6,400, 2019, which was 6,000. So you can kind of see how that trend is is popping back up. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Ed, this you seem to have a lot of experience. Obviously, you were in the retail side, worked with some some pretty big names. What would be your input or, I don't know, best practice for for dealers um, as we navigate the situ potential situation and going into 2023 with a lot of uncertainty? Well, <clears throat> I guess to answer that, it, it, I would have to say there, there are two major things that dealers need to be aware of and and start putting their own best practices in place to to make sure that they protect themselves in these two areas and one of them is simply inventory management uh, for the last couple of years uh, you know we reached a point in the used car side of the business where we could pretty much pay anything we had to pay spend as much money as we needed to to recondition it and we could still sell it for the highest margins we've ever sold vehicles for. So that caused us to get a little bit, I call it fat and happy, but, you know, a little bit mm -hmm. lazy in our, in our inventory management practices. So one of the things that a lot of my dealers are struggling with is, what do I do? Do I, do I get rid of these units that I bought two months ago and paid too much for, or do I keep trying to sell them? And that, that's a difficult discipline to, to teach. Um, so dealers are going to have to be very, very aware of what they're doing from an inventory management side, and particularly the guys that are bigger and they have layers of management that are making decisions daily that could affect the, you know, the outcome of that challenge. Um, and another one that's kind of a um, interesting bit of information I ran across in, in meeting with uh, some people that basically ensure the receivables for the largest floor planning companies in the country. Um, and uh, they told me that uh, in the year of 2022, that the frequency of um, dealers going delinquent on them or getting out of trust is another term uh, is up 49% over 2021. Wow. Uh, wow. And the, severity of those problems is up 56%. So what that really means is there's going to be some stress put on the floor planning sources because of those losses. And I think we're going to see uh, the, you know, the capital supply, the money availability start drying up as a result of what I just mentioned. And then another really strange phenomenon is it got so easy to sell used cars during the, I'll call it the pandemic hmm. years. Um, the sales force and, and sales managers um, developed a lot of really bad habits. And there's a lot of things that, that we should be doing to sell cars every day. 
that we no longer feel like we have to do because we had two years of if we had the car, we could sell it and we could sell it for more money than we ever dreamed of. So those are the, the really the two challenges, get, getting fat and happy and and uh, dealing with the uh, invent- the discipline of inventory management. Yeah, I think you could kind of sum that up, Ed, in, in you know, in Bill, is that over the last, over the pandemic years, um, to, to use your phrase, we, we've just gotten, we've gotten loose. The good news is, mm. is that before the pandemic, you know, we all knew how to run our dealerships the right way. It's, it's just now it's just a matter of tightening back up and, and getting back to those disciplines that have made us successful in, in, uh, in non-pandemic years, right? Yeah, this is a question for whoever wants to pick it up, but I really feel I've, I've, I've been kind of thinking about this topic, you know, like to allude, you know, to um, kind of back up what Ed was saying to his point, right? But there's a lot of, you know, and I've said this on the show before, this wasn't two weeks, three weeks, this was years of that behavior. And the industry in itself, like just from, you know, inventory uh, levels to obviously some of the, the repercussions of, of uh, lack of training. I mean, I just can't say it and I can't find a better word to describe it because, yeah, we were selling cars and so we, we just didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that. In the new norm, whatever that is, because we really don't know what that is today, what's going to be the thing that's going to, that, that, is it going to be inventory or is it going to be training? Which of, whoever wants to pick this up, but who, if you were running a store and you have that challenge, what would you focus on? Would you focus more on training your people and developing, you know, building up that salesmanship again? Or would you the right car, so to speak, at the right price um, and, and, you know, leverage that i can give you a real quick answer you need to do both for sure yeah i i would agree you need to do both but you know in in my my uh, humble opinion i'd say training is going to be your your most ideal um you know at the end of the day you know i can i can get definitely get someone and and train them to do the right thing but you know to ed's point as well uh you know need that inventory but you know, I'm always big on training, and I think all three of us are. You know, that's why we continue to do what we do, not just uh, as moderators and consultants, but we do training through the NIADA as well, uh, having educational classes and so on. Uh, because, uh, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, if you have great training and you have great insight and great information and, and you can learn from some of the best as far as best practices go, that's going to be, you know, that's, that's going to help you a bigger portion of the way you know, uh, than anything so else. So there's this, there's this um, weird piece of advice that I got years and years ago when I was like in my twenties, that was, if you have to choose between making your house payment, make your car payment because you can live in your car. And, and I think that to connect that back, if you have to choose between training your staff to be able to sell what you have on the lot or change what you have on the lot, train your staff to sell it. Like they're the ones who are going to be there the long term. Your car should not, the units shouldn't be there long term the way that the, the employees are. So I would say for sure training, it's crucial in any scenario. 
Yeah, Charity, I could I couldn't agree more with that. I you know I think um, you know, and maybe maybe Ed and, and Bill, you guys can can speak to this as well. But you know we all do a lot of consulting. We visit a lot of dealerships and and um and we're there to help them kind of improve their processes and procedures, maximize profitability. You know all the all the things we do. I can't tell you every single uh, visit that I have when I sit down with a dealer and I start going through action plans or oh yeah we used to do that oh my gosh you're so right gosh we got to get back to doing that and and I think what we're seeing is is that we just we just kind of stepped away from you know we just took our eye off that ball because like Ed said things have been kind of easy the last uh, the last couple of years in mm -hmm. our business it's been kind of easy to do what we wanted and how we wanted to do it and you know to, for me I would just sit back start training your staff again the way you know how to train them you you know this we're not new to the business we all know what we should be doing we all know the basic blocking and tackling and and just sit down and, and start doing it again and jump into the educational piece you know if you can find a a good a good webinar or a good you know uh, uh on-site training you know it's always real it's always going to be beneficial to kind of kind of brush up on those skills mm -hmm. yeah i have a, yeah, I have a question sure. Um, to go back to, and forgive me because I don't know flooring at all, um, but I'm really interested in the fact that the delinquencies are that high and we just came through record, record profit years. How does that, what, how is that? Well, it, it was actually <clears throat> isolated to the smaller dealers. And the people who heard about somebody that they knew doing very well over the last couple of years, so they decided to stop being a plumber and they got in the used car business. Mm -hmm. So most of the um, frequency and the severity is a result of people who really shouldn't have gotten into the used car business, but did because it was right. so easy. It's kind of hard to believe that, that that could happen, but this is the largest insurer of receivables for floor planning sources that, that there is. Mm -hmm. So again, it was isolated to the, the little bitty mom and pops more so than the guys that have been doing business for 10 or 15 years. That should know better. <laughs> well, and, and I think they learned something 12 years ago, yeah. maybe 13 years ago. And the, the new guys just didn't have that base of experience and shouldn't have been, a lot of them shouldn't have been in the business. Mm -hmm. But this company doesn't decide who their customers are going to lend money to. They just insure their receivables. How many, did you see a lot of independent, tiny little independent, like what was, do you guys have a number? What was the increase on those over the last couple of years? You know? I, I don't have a number. Yeah, I, I really don't have a number for that either. Um, that, that would be an interesting that would be an interesting stat to, to be able to, to produce. So see if I can dig into that. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, in some cases uh, we've actually lost some, some, uh, uh, some dealers uh, in the last couple of years uh, because of, of just how things have kind of gone. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that we're kind of looking at right now. There's, there's been some big acquisitions and some acquisitions of, of uh, different uh uh, buy here, pay here operators. Um, there's some large ones. You know, one of the ones that I worked for at one point in time is, is actually uh, uh, purchased uh, some of their locations, maybe not their 
their book of business, but definitely their locations. And, and, uh, and, you know, those are kind of going away, but, uh, you know, I think that you're, you know, to, to Ben and Ed, you know, I don't know that number either, but I do know. And, and I think that, you know, we know of some dealers that have gone, uh, and have decided that they're going to get out of this business because of a lot of things that have happened yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I, I, um, you know, kind of, uh, um, following up that, that question, do, do you guys think, Okay, so from my conversations, and this is local here to maybe LA, Vegas, and Salt Lake, but a lot of the independents had some hard times during COVID because of inventory. Because they, they, yeah, they could sell what they had, but they did have hard times getting inventory because inventory was, you know, um, such a high uh, commodity, right? Did you, yeah. did, did you, does that echo what you guys saw nationally or, or is, is that not without the case? a doubt? So deal, dealers were forced, okay. dealers were yes. forced to kind of make a, a, a decision. You, you almost, you could stay in the lane you've always lived in when it, when it came to the model of mm. vehicle that you sold. But, um, but if you did, you really had to, to decide to, to reduce your sales volume. So most dealers, what they did is they either went upstream or downstream on their vehicle because in uh, what I mean by that is they decided to, to start selling a, a higher priced vehicle, um, tried to buy a newer vehicle and, and, you know, ended up just having to pay more. So inventory supplies have been a big deal over the last couple of years. Now I did see recently, I just saw a, um, so, uh, a report from Cox Automotive and what's what's interesting is that the used day supply is really started to narrow the gap and it's almost back to where it's been over the last couple of years mm -hmm. so so we've seen that start narrowing uh really towards the end of 2022 um and i think things are starting to kind of normalize there a little bit but prices are still higher yeah we definitely haven't hit the floor i was just looking at the at um uh, the autos report their um, auction their Mannheim report or whatever, and you could see the graph and it's nowhere near where, where it was before this whole thing started. So there's still yeah. a lot of room for depreciation, right? So that's still something that has to be at the forefront of everybody making decisions, especially buying cars. Yeah. And Herb, it's interesting. It's interesting too, because I've been hearing a lot of dealers, dealers uh, who are selling a newer model uh, used vehicle. Um, because you know, a lot of dealers did go upstream and, and they are selling a little bit newer model and though the newer models have have started you know prices have started coming down on the newer model side but m most of our our mainstream vehicles you know eight to 12 years old that 120 thousand mile range and um th those haven't really started changing yet there's a little softening but not not a ton is what my dealers have been yeah. telling me no for sure the other thing that i want to and whoever wants to pick this up on the finance side of things so what do you guys think about the, do you think that that's going to put pressure on the uh, independent dealer consumer in 2023 or not so much because those consumers are typically are, are in the, not the best uh, financial position and they're, they're, you know, if you're paying 20% or you're paying 15%, you know, you're pretty much in that, in that bracket anyway. What are your thoughts Perhaps. there? Let me go ahead, Ed. Address it from the retail side. From the retail side, it absolutely is and will. Um, in fact, um, 
our retail SAR is down about 10% year over year from 21 to 22. That's also one of the reasons that the day supply, it looks like it's leveling out because Mm -hmm. part of the calculation for day supply is the vehicles sold. So bottom line is it is having effect on the retail side. And I'll let these guys address the buy here, pay here. Well, and Go ahead, I, yeah, I was actually going to talk a little bit about uh, the finance company. So I, I moderate a, uh, a finance company group as well. And uh, from that standpoint and, and that side, uh, you know, they, they're definitely, they're seeing that the, some of the larger finance companies are definitely hurting a little bit and they're, they're asking for more, whether it's a discount or it's more, uh, you know, uh, money uh, that they have to get down or whatever the case may be, just, just additional um, opportunities to make, make the deal better for the finance company. Um, but at the end of the day, it is definitely a, uh, been a little bit more of a struggle for some of these finance companies. And I think both Ben and I will probably talk to, you know, that we have some, some different members and, and dealers of our groups that have uh, both buy here, pay here and retail. And uh, from the retail side, they've seen uh, definitely a little bit of a, of a uh, uptick on, on what they need to kind of get down and information that they need. Then on the buy here, pay here side, uh, they definitely started to, to feel that little bit of that crunch because, you know, their, their, their lending arm, whoever they are, are borrowing their money from, mm-hmm. has also started to increase the amount of money and the interest rates that they have that they're paying back on some of these uh, different uh, uh, loans and or lines of credit. So, Ben? Yeah, I th- the co- looks the, co- the cost of funds is, is – uh is going to contribute to an increase in our expenses, regardless of what dealership model you're you're running in 2023. Herb, to your point though, here's what here's why I think 2023 is going to be similar to 2020, 2010 in the buy here pay here space is because the cost of funds are going up, charge off is also charge off and repossession is also going up, and that's not just happening in our um, uh, niche that's happening in the subprime market, which is, which is, you know, for us is, is a, is yeah. a good thing, but from an opportunity perspective for the consumer not so good, but, but f- what happens is, is the, um, as margins, as cost of funds go up, charge off goes up, margins start to squeeze then your subprime companies are getting out of the space, which means that those, those better performing customers now become our portfolio because we're bringing them into into our space because they still got to get transportation they still need someone to be able to help them out with that and and that's why we're here we're here to help them with that so as the margin squeeze we're going to see more opportunities i was just again i was just you had this meeting in miami and um one of my dealers who is both retail and buy here pay here told me on his retail side uh, he's seeing 650 and 680 uh fica scores getting turned down and he's those customers now are being served by his buy here pay here portfolio, and that's going to be a really good thing for our for our industry. I think in twenty twenty three, that's the opportunity. Yeah, that you, I see. just to make sure I understand. So you're saying that the the it's pushing these customers down the down the credit funnel if they could qualify on the retail side with the six fifty six eighty. Now those that paper is being turned away, so they have to go with the independent or the buy here pay here sector. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's the same scenario that that happened in yeah. 2010 is if you guys mm-hmm. remember back then, the cost of funds went up, uh, charge off went up, 
margins got squeezed and customers came, uh, you know, customers still need, they still need financing. They still need to be able to get into a quality vehicle. And that's where we're able to kind of, uh, um, you know, help. Well, that's where our opportunity sure. come from. What about thing, what about differentiators? Because, you know, for all the things that are happening right now, these are, uh, you know, by all intents and purposes, these are all, um, external factors, right? We can't, the consumer can't control it. The dealer can't control it. All we can do is adjust and work in the environment that we have, but we could do things differently in the sense of, I know you guys have now a certification program and I'd like to get your guys' take on that. Like, do you think that that's something that could be a differentiator that's going to push consumers or I don't know, give consumers more, um, security in their purchase, maybe for lack of a better term? No, I, I was distracted by a 911 call from one of my cons- consulting dealers, and I looked away. I don't know if you were addressing me or. No, I just in general, like whoever wants to pick that up. Like, um, so basically, because. Yeah, so Herb, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll pick it up, Herb. I I, I was going to give these guys an opportunity. Uh, I don't want to monopolize. The... <laughs> no, go ahead, Ben. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yes, I absolutely think um, that it'll be a differentiator. So we have we have a, a CPO, um, which I think uh, you know that's a whole that's a whole you know line of. of I think that's going to be a differentiator on that side of things. I also think when when we have dealers that are a certified master dealer, that's I think that's what you're talking about when you're talking about the certifications. Yeah. You're you're talking about our certified master dealer program. You know, that's a big. That's a big push, and I think the the thing about you know branding those type of programs is that it's got to mean something to the consumer. So if I'm a consumer and I know that uh, a national you know company, a national association has certified that dealer that's in my market as a as a dealer that operates above boards, as someone who's compliant and is doing things the right way, someone who uh, puts a better quality vehicle on the road, that's part of the CPO process. You know, you're putting a better quality vehicle on the road, that's a certified thing. As a consumer, that makes me feel better about going to that dealer all the way around. The trick is, is getting that branding out and making it mean something to the consumer and I like where NIAD is going with that. And that, that's absolutely a big push for us in, in 2023 and beyond. And yes, to your point, I think it's a differentiator. It would be for me. It's just mm-hmm. like a review. If, if I've got two equal products sitting in front of me and I've got a, a four and a half star review and I've got a three and a half star review, right. where am I going? For sure. Um, Ed, yeah. what do you think on the, from the retail side? How, how do you think that's going to impact negatively or positively on the retail side? Positively, without a doubt. <clears throat> it adds, a, an, I guess, a new market segment that the retail dealers can, can reach out to. And certified cars have been around so long now, people who are interested in those search for mm-hmm. them. And in their search, they, they're pretty agnostic about where the cars are located or uh, until they narrow it down to, you know, a few. And then, then the things that Ben just mentioned, you know, come into play. So without a doubt, it, it will help the dealers, the ones who understand that there are people out there that won't buy anything but a certified pre-owned vehicle. And, and these and it's gone through an inspection and it's it's gone through a not only is it gone through an inspection but it's gone through a a a 
a good inspection, <laughs> you know, something that's that's been certified and looked at. And yeah, it's I think it's huge. Sorry, Herb. I think no, I no, it's fine. You off there. So the 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 um, just to to kind of understand this a little bit better, the the franchise dealers can also um, certify their non-certifiable units through this program. You know, I don't know the answer to that one. Um, ben or Ed, do you guys know? Uh, uh, I, I, I believe it's more just for independent dealers. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if they've uh, excluded um, uh, new car franchises to that. Herb, so, uh, um, if, I, if I understood your question correctly, it was, could a franchise dealer who attempted to certify a vehicle through their OEM program and it failed, could they certify it through NIADA's program or right. some other program? Yes. Well, I would have to say that depends on who that OEM was because there's a few OEM certified programs that are really picky. As an yeah. example, um, one particular one, I'm not going to name the, the OEMs, but one of them has had a provision that if a, a two panels had had any paintwork, there was no dollar value, no estimate of the damage or, or what the repairs cost. But if it had two panels painted, you couldn't certify it. Well, that's that's ludicrous. Um, <laughs> my wife's Explorer, which I bought new, has got more than two panels that would need need a couple of things done to them. Sure. So in that case, it, assuming that vehicle met all of the other requirements uh, of an NIDA, NIADA program or a different program, um, yeah, that could happen. Um, and it really depends on which manufacturer you're referring to. I, um, what you're saying makes sense, Ed. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure that our CPO program, though, is, is, uh, is geared towards franchise. It's I think it's all directed, used cars and independent dealer. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it'd be, right. but, but it's still, I mean, I think it levels out the playing field, right? And it, and it allows uh, for better competition, which, always that's always a good thing right so sure. well, well it's all <clears throat> herb it's all about consumer yeah. confidence right i mean you know think about the consumer psyche it, you're you're in a you're in a situation where you you need a vehicle and that's where most of our customers are right and buy here pay here space they they need a vehicle and um you you don't have the credit and or stability in order to get financing for a vehicle. And now, oh my gosh, you're at everybody's mercy now, right? So you've got all these all these dealers out here who um, for the most part are are great community servants and and you know and really operate above board, but but you've got some who aren't. And how do you differentiate between the ones who aren't and the ones yeah. who are? And as a consumer who doesn't know anything about cars, and you're in a situation where you're forced to to uh, you know handle your purchase through one of these buy here pay here dealers. Man, I think it means a lot in order to have some national association that's certifying that dealer, both either as a master dealer or through the CPO um, of on the vehicle. I definitely itself. agree. With yeah, that. no, I agree. I yeah. for myself, that's one of the things that I you know working in the franchise dealerships, you run into that where customers will be like, well. This used car lot, they certify their vehicles too. And you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> but 
But when the NIADA, when it's right. backed by that, there's just so much value that comes with that, that, yeah, I completely agree with that. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Yeah, and you know, I think the uh, the other thing to, to echo again to Ben's point is, you know, every one of these, you know, consumers that comes on to, a, you know, especially buy here, pay here lot is, you know, they're already nervous and, you know, at the end of the day, because they might've had a bad experience. They might've not have had a, a very good vehicle at some point in time. So to have something like that and, and to have that banner, you know, uh, waving up on your, on your flagpole or, you know, just anywhere on your dealership, you know, means a lot, but then it also means, you know, there's a comfort level. Um, and, you know, as everyone's nervous, just at least not only just get approved, but just to know that they're going to have a good running vehicle and that it's been certified at that point in time is, is, is a big deal. So, so to your point, and, and again, to, uh, to Ben's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a, a game changer in going forward in the future. Right on. So the, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, price, because I know that that's been something that I'm seeing we are having a hard time letting go of, and I wanted to get your guys' perspective on it. What do you think is going on with that, or what are you seeing on your end um, uh, when it comes to pricing and tr trying to keep those inflated prices despite the fact that the market's telling us that you know the time has arrived to kind of normalize that? Well, one of the things that I think that you're going to find out is that, well, they've already purchased these cars before the, 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 the market starts to normalize, right? Mm. So a lot of the vehicles that they're looking to try and sell at this point in time are vehicles that they've purchased in the last 30, 60 or 90 days. And they're trying to at least, you know, take, a, you know, a sell to a consumer at that point. So those things are, are a big factor that play into that as well. I, I think going forward, as the prices kind of come down, you're going to start to see those same because most people's model is not to try and, and do anything other than just to make a little bit of profit on, on some of these vehicles at that point in time. So they weren't really trying to hurt anybody. They were just, Hey, it's just like anything else. You know, we don't have a lot of them. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to sell what we can to be able to make at least a profit on the ones that we do have. And I think this kind of goes to, I, I can't remember if it was Ben or Ed talking about, you know, that, you know, we've been fat and happy for, for a period of time and, and surely, but at the same time, we're not doing the volume that we were, you know, way back when. Um, so I'll let these other guys kind of chime in a little bit on that as well. Yeah. The, the buy here, pay here dealer has to price based mm -hmm. on risk. And, and that's just the, that's just the nature of our business. Um, prices have, have obviously gone up, you know, I, to Bill's point, a lot of deal, man, if I'm going to give any dealers listening to this some advice, uh, handle your overage vehicles yes, now. Please. Don't get caught four or five months from now with a bunch of overage vehicles on your lot that you overpaid for because that is going to make life a little difficult for you. It's going to make life very difficult for you. Deal with it now. You've been putting it off. It's tax time. It's tax season. Get that overage handled now. Um, 
That being said, I think a quicker turn right now is is uh, probably good advice as as we kind of navigate through the next six months and see what happens with uh, uh, with pricing from a deal structure perspective. Uh, Herb, to your point, pricing has gone up. Um, it, it's it's just the nature of the beast. You know, the inventory has cost us more, so so that that gets put onto the consumer. Um, cash and deal has gone up. That means your risk on the road has gone up. Buy here, pay here dealers and um, deal structure, I think is important. Make sure that you're, that you're really focused on deal structure and, and that you're doing the right things. Ed, anything for, from you on the retail side? Are you well, seeing? Um, um, yeah, now, pricing is extremely critical over on the retail side. And the, you know, Herb, the rising tide floats all boats. So for a couple years, uh, Pricing in the wholesale world just kept rising and dealers had no choice but to pay that or buy something that was potentially substandard and take it back and make it make it a good quality vehicle. So they spend a lot of money on it. But um, as prices continue to rise on the auction blocks, so did they in the, um, you know, online world for all of the um, third party providers out there. And as prices have started coming down and dealers are saying, what am I going to do with this old inventory to Ben's point? They are um, now able to buy vehicles at a much lower price. And their problem is they're going to wind up retailing um, vehicles for less than they pay for them again to, to Ben's point. So uh, an example being, uh, I just talked to a dealer day before yesterday, very good dealer very successful dealer and a large dealer. Um, he is now paying about 90% of the, um, you know, average inventory pricing. I don't want to name too many products, but um, where he was paying 100% of inventory pricing two months ago. So when he was paying 100% and selling it for more, he's now going to wind up selling that inventory that he's bought for over a hundred percent. And yet if he, if he can continue to buy at the 90% level, he can certainly make, you know, in theory, he'd make a 10% margin on it. So prices went up. So did retail prices. Uh, wholesale prices went up. So did retail prices. Wholesale prices are going down and they're going down faster than people are accustomed to. And so are the retail prices, mm -hmm. which is the dilemma that, Ben was talking about aged inventory. Yeah, man, I don't know. I just feel like we're still kind of stuck in these. I still have dealers that bought cars um, and and every instead of dropping their price, they're still raising the price. And it's like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, I don't get it. Like, I understand you're trying to make money, but yeah, well, I bought this car high and now I have this this cost and every 30 days I have to pay a premium and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, dude, but the market is changing. You can't continue to raise the price on the car you're you're just digging yourself a deeper hole you know like well i think what you're yeah i'm sorry go ahead you, you got to get i'm sorry nope, bill go ahead, ben. go ahead well to that to that dealer herb i you guys you you're holding on to yeah. your cars too long that that's why you're half and that's why it feels like you're overpricing and you're holding on to your vehicle get your vehicle through recon get it on your front lot and get it sold and if you have to take if you have to take a little lower gross on the front end in order to sell the vehicle, that's fine. 
mean, the buy here, pay here space, we don't collect our gross up front anyway. We collect it over time as, make as customers payments, make yeah. payments, right? So, yeah, so listen, get, do what you got to do. Don't hang on to that vehicle. Get it sold. And, and if you got to take a little bit of a cut on the front end, so be it. It'll be okay as long as you're not, you know, six months from now, you can't be dealing with today's inventory because if you are, you're going to be really yeah. overpriced. Get them through your shop, get them onto the front line, and get them into the consumer's hands. And, and I think to your point or to your question or your concern, Herb, you know, I, I would say that that's the biggest thing. You know, right now, um, get them, you know, sell them, get them out of there, wholesale them if you need to. You know, but but at the end of the day, you know, it's not something that you want to hold on to because every time and, and Ed actually just did a, a – uh, um, a presentation that he had it for the uh, Florida Independent Auto Dealer Association, and in that it was he talked about hey you know what if you hold that car for more than fifteen to thirty days here my, here's where your your profits are going to be you're selling the car for the same back same amount of money so you're if you're having to continue to raise that price and now prices are starting to go down you're going to keep holding on to that and all you're going to do is you're going to lose money rather than make money right. so uh, you know to, to that point you know that's that's a big thing but. You know who else is going to be knocking them down is these finance companies aren't going to be buying that kind of stuff. They're they're right now looking at some of those things and saying nope, that that price is too high. So so I think you know from at, at in the bigger uh, spectrum here, that's going to you know determine and play a big role of the prices of some of these vehicles because if the finance company isn't buying them at this amount of money, then they're not going to really be able to sell them in most cases because they're not going to be financing them themselves. And if they did. The buy here, pay here dealers already know up front, it's not my front, it's going to be my back that I'm going to be collecting on that. So I'm going to make more money, you know, on the back side of this deal, not the front side. For sure. For sure. All right, guys. Hey, let, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. There is one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show. But before we get there, I want to get your guys' thoughts individually on the Carvana situation. Any predictions? What do you guys think is going to happen? What do you think is happening? Because... There's just a lot of weird stuff going on <laughs> over there. Um, any thoughts? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump on that one first. Um, you know, uh, the fact that they they uh, they let go of a lot a large number of receivables really kind of opened up uh, their their uh, their bank account a little bit. More. <laughs> yeah, that, that's um, so, funny, so that Bill. Was, was it? It was like that, four billion dollars, right? I know. I know it's huge. It was huge. So, you know, it, well, that's large. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. So, so, um, you know, that, that was a big deal. Um, and you know, from those, you know, so I used to buy portfolios, never that large, not even close. Um, but you know, that, that was, you know, one of the things that did, when you opened up and you freed up a lot of that cash, it gave you a little bit more flexibility and ability, but they, they, I guarantee they had some expenses they had to be paying down and paying off. Um, you know what? What do I see going into the future? Um, you know, with with the uh, with their purchase of of Odessa um, and and having that that capability of having a, a wholesale market for themselves to be able to you know run cars through and have their own inventory, that's going to be a big positive for them kind of going forward. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be some new things that we might be seeing coming from them, and I don't think they're going going away completely yet, but they sure are kind of slowing down in a lot of different areas, especially with the titling issues and some of the other issues that they're having in some of the states. Well, um, Herb, I'll take my shot at it. Um, they've been defying gravity for years. 
<laughs> and stock pricing and valuations are just incredible. Um, they, they finally had to pay the piper. They freed up $4 billion worth of dry powder. And my prediction is at some point they'll run out of that dry powder because they still have the inventory that they had and they're facing some headwinds on, on uh, retail sales. Um, and, and I don't understand the stock pricing. They, they're up from in the high threes a week ago at the $14 a share. Um, but all that's going to do is perpetuate. And I, I think it's going to be a long, slow death. They may come all the way back, but I, I don't predict it myself. Yeah, they're in the short squeeze, short squeeze yeah, phase I, right now. Yeah, I'm going to echo Ed there. I, you know, I, I think that that's exactly well said, Ed. Um, that, that's my opinion on it as well. I think they're, I think they're in the beginning of a, um, of a, of a death spiral. That, that's probably putting them a little too, uh, a little too harshly, but. Um, I, I think they're going to have to make some different, some changes in their, in their model. That's what I think is going to have to happen. And, um, you know, I know, I know, a, a, our customers and I know, and this is kind of like the new, I talk to my dealers about this all the time, you know, our, our customers, um, really, uh, we need to be there for them. We, mm. I always talk, I always talk to people like this. It's we, we're kind of their spotter, mm. right? And for various reasons, um, you know, it's difficult in order for our customer base to to make um, to, to make payments on time for, for a lot of different reasons. And having um, someone help them uh, kind of as a spotter, you know, you're working out of the gym and you got someone someone helping you to make that extra rep. I think it's important, which makes us a customer relationship business. And we've always been a customer relationship business and in the 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 dealers that treat their customers the right way and are in this for the right reason in order to help the customer base, those are the dealers that are going to be successful. And as we continue adding tech and kiosks and everything's online and we lose touch with our customer, then, then I don't think that that's a, a long-term viable model. And I think we've got to make sure I, we need tech, we need efficiency. Our customers want, want that. But we can't lose touch with our customer, and I, I think that that's uh, that might that's a problem. Well, there it is. Yeah, I no, I agree. That, I, I think I, I can't I can't understand how they're, you know, I mean, they got the auction and stuff, so hopefully that that gives them some yeah. um, some room. I think it was the dumbest, smartest thing they did was was buy that, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will good way to put it you know what absolutely yeah so anyway thanks again guys for doing this we really appreciate it there is one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show and that question is where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why so we'll start with ben then ed and we'll end with bill man i I'll, i think it's uh well we're gonna we okay next five years we're we had 4.2 million fewer vehicles that hit our uh, hit our uh, our system in in 20 and 21. That bubble is going to permeate its way through our uh, through our our lives for the next five years yeah. for sure. Okay, so we're going to be dealing with that for for a little while. Um, man, I think I think 
we're strong. I think we've we've learned a lot of really good lessons over the next couple of years. I think there's a lot of tech coming. Um, you know, in the buy here, pay here space, the the kind of the, the the new thing right now, everybody's really gravitating towards a better underwriting pr- uh, process and towards scoring models. Um, I think we, you know, hopefully, and I'm seeing this on the line, I'm seeing DMS providers really kind of digging into the buy here, pay here markets, um, providing us with uh, with better better software systems and ways to manage our businesses. I, I think the the future is really bright in the automotive space. I'm excited to be a part of it, and um, man, I'm really looking forward to it. Right on, Ed. Herb, I think we're gonna in the on the used car side. I'm not addressing franchise dealers. I think we're going to see uh, 17 to 19 million retail SAR uh, over the next five years, and it'll it'll float up and down a little bit month to month. Um, I don't see any explosion in uh, electric vehicles. There's a lot of hype and a lot of things going on in that area, but but I think in the used car dealer world, um, there'll be some growth there, but I don't think it's going to be an explosion. Um, and I do know that our uh, stores that are doing their own reconditioning and doing retail service are going to have to invest in people and equipment to deal with all of the new ADOS items that are, that are rolling into the cars or started rolling into them at a very high rate about 2014. And every year there, there's new ADOS uh, equipment added to cars. So. So we've got to get ready for that. And, and I think in the next five years, we're going to see a, a real growth in the service side of the business. So really, we're going to rock back and forth about where we're at now in volume. Um, and we're going to see a big, tremendous growth in service. Right on, so Bill. My, uh, yep. So uh, save the best <laughs> for last. Is that what it is? Um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, yeah, sure, Bill. <laughs> uh, ben, ben and I always kind of go back and forth on that one. Um, you know, I, I will say that uh, from the next five years, especially for the buy here, pay here side of this business, um, I, I see some great things. Um, you know, the, 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 as Ben mentioned, technology is, is uh, going to be so much better and it's going to give us so much more opportunity. But I think some dealers are really going to kind of go back to that to the old handshake of, of talking to people and being in front of them. And, and trying to trying to create that that relationship again with them uh, that they might have lost a little bit during the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I can see that as, as a big thing kind of going forward. And for the next five years, you know, I, I see our growth in this section of this business as is plentiful. Um, and uh, we're going to start to see some of those guys that might have left might be coming back because as, as prices of cars start to kind of soften a little bit, I think they're going to want to get back into the market. They really didn't want to leave, but they, they didn't want to pay some of those prices that they had to pay at that point in time. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at seeing and going forward as far as uh, uh, the, the, uh, the next five years. Right on. Well, there you have it, folks. Thank you again so much for joining us. That's all the time that we have for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected with our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. 
To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealertalk. That's foureyes.io slash dealertalk.